to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Let's get into this brand new series. This morning, what I'm doing is I'm actually laying the foundation for this series, uh, which we have entitled The Radical Jesus. Say, The Radical Jesus. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is radical. Now, to just give you uh, a background uh, and to just lay the, f- lay the foundation for this series, the next few weeks, we want to look at some of the belief system of Jesus and what made him so radical. And I believe by doing that, that we will have an understanding of how we are to live our lives like Jesus did. So, Let's start off with, with a few questions. What does it mean to say that I'm a Christian? Have you, have you ever asked yourself this question? Is it just going to church on Sunday, pay your, pay your tithe, say your prayers, do your devotions? Uh, is that all there is to the Christian faith? What does it mean to say that we, we follow Jesus? And we want to look at that in this series. I read what David Platt, who's now... Uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Missions Convention uh, wrote in one of his books and he said, I could not help but think that somewhere along the way, we, the church, had missed what is radical about our faith and replaced it with comfortable. You get that? Somewhere along uh, the way in the last 2,000 years, Because perhaps of the growth and the prosperity of the church, that Christians had missed what is radical about our faith and replaced it with what is comfortable. Francis Chan, uh, who at one point in the early days of this church made an impact in my life, wrote in his book, Crazy Love. The goals of, he said, American Christianity, but I'll replace that word with, with the 21st century Christianity, are often a nice marriage, children who don't swear, and good church attendance. Taking the words of, of Jesus literally and seriously is rarely considered. That's for radicals who are unbalanced and who go overboard. And most of us want a balanced life that we can control, that is safe, and that does not involve suffering. And that's his lament. That was his pet peeve as a pastor previously, now as a missionary to San Francisco. He's surprised at how balanced the church has been in the last 2,000 years. And in that balance, we've lost our radicalness or the radicality of the church. See friends, the kingdom of God adheres to a completely different belief systems than the world's. Totally different. If you read the Bible, I tell you it will comfort the afflicted. Have we found some comfort as Bible-believing Christians reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, so much comfort. But other parts of the Bible actually afflict the comfortable. When you read about, uh, you have to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow Jesus. And if we can just blot out some of these uncomfortable verses, can I suggest to you then that the Bible you have would probably be less than a tenth of its size. But this is 
The amazing thing about the kingdom of God, it afflicts the comfortable and of course it comforts the afflicted. So where you are this morning, I really believe that God's word will speak to you nonetheless, regardless of the different life stage that you are on. Why? Because Jesus, when he came, he was here to represent the Father and you've heard this from the speakers who spoke from this pulpit and also to represent the Father. Because the Father is the most misrepresented person in the whole of the universe. And Jesus was radical because He defied the cultural norm to reveal who the Father is. He was totally countercultural. He was like the salmon who swam against the tide and lay a few eggs we call disciples. And <laughs> the church transformed the world. But He was radical because He was here to represent to us what the Father has always dreamed of when He made human beings. Jesus believed and acted based on the standards of the kingdom, not based on popular beliefs or opinions. Friends, we have to understand that Jesus was subjected only to the Father's will and not to what was popular at the time when He was walking the earth, which is why He stepped on toes, which is why the Pharisees disliked him, wanted to kill him. There were occasions where they wanted to push him across the cliff, but of course he walked through. And Jesus, as a human being, fully God, fully man, walking the face of the earth, was radical. Was radical. Sinners love him, but the religious people hated him. We read the Bible, we know it. And so what does it mean for us, church, to be radical like Jesus? I feel this morning, let's broadly talk about how was Jesus radical? How was he radical? I believe we can uh, see that from his sayings. We can see that from his actions. And let me say, first of all, that Jesus' sayings are radical. If you are like me, who, who, when I came to know Christ, had a repulsion towards religion. Some of you scratch your head and say, well, what do you mean? I thought we are religion. No, we're not. Part of my work with the Titus Group allows me to meet non-believers who are philanthropic advisors. And so on Tuesday, I met a, a lady from a bank and she's like the ED of a philanthropic advisory arm of this bank. And uh, so we spoke about the different grants that we give out and I said, we specialize in kingdom building. I said, huh, what's that? We specialize in helping uh, Christian ministries. And so she was intrigued by what I said. And we went into faith. And I love it. And so I said, as far as I'm concerned, and many Christians you would, you would meet, the faith is not a religion. And she was like, what do you mean? What's the difference? And I said, religion is based on a set of do's and don'ts. But a relationship, it's a relationship is based on love. And I said, when, because I love my wife, I don't want to do things that will hurt her. And because I love God, I want to please God. And, I, and so she said, please go and tell me a little bit more. And so I said, when your wife calls you or when your husband calls you on the phone, must you say, hello, who's that? And she says, no. 
I can recognize my husband's voice. And so I said, it's the same because we spoke about hearing God's voice and I said, yeah, God speaks to people. And so she said, how do you know? It's the voice of God. I said, I just know. I just know. Like when my wife calls me, when my son calls me, I don't need to think twice and say, hey, who's that? Because if I do that, I can assure you it's not a prophetic word that tonight I'll be sleeping on the floor. What do you mean, who's that? So it's almost like an assumption that she knew uh, that I would know that it's her. Amen, all those who are married. Come on. And even those who are dating, after a while, if you ask your better half or the other partner that, he or she will be upset. What do you mean? And And you ask, who's that? Come on. And so it's a relationship. And so... And when Jesus was interacting with the world and when he was walking with, with the disciples, he was actually sharing you know, through the things that he said, his belief system. And so let's look at some of his sayings. Let's look at just some because next week, Andre will go deep and, uh, and then the coming weeks, you know, we'll be talking a lot more about the different uh, radical acts or different ra- radical sayings that Jesus had. But let's look at Jesus' view on power and position. Now, as you are turning to your Bible or look at the screen at Mark chapter 10, you know, I want to say that the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. Amen? It's totally upside down. Which really is the right side up. The world we're living in is upside down. And so Jesus, on power and position, repeatedly rejected human ambition to power and position. He spoke of leaders as servants. And of course, in the 70s, we had this very popular book. I was a very young boy then, but as a result of that book, it basically changed the way the world sees leadership. It's by Robert Greenleaf, and and it's entitled Servant Leadership. And we thought, wow, that's a revelation. Come on, it's in the Bible 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom to men. This is a 2,000 years old principle discovered by this supposedly leadership guru wrote a bestseller and now we've got centers for servant leadership. But it's in the Bible. Jesus has always alluded to the fact that if you want to be great, you must be the least. Luke chapter 14 verse 11 says, for, who, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Upside down kingdom. In this world, people are telling you, if you want to climb the corporate ladder, you have got to put yourself in that place. You have got to sell yourself. You have got to market yourself. You have to be in that position that, that your bosses can recognize, your talent recognize. No, the Bible tells us that if you want to be exalted, you must first be humble, be a servant, and God will promote you. And can I suggest to all of us that the way God promotes is not climbing the corporate ladder, it is an elevator. Joseph, for 13 years, he had the dreams for, 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 for many uh, years. He had this vision of greatness and God spoke to him when he was 17 years old and seems to be slow coming and it seems like the promise and the dream is further and further away from his reach, right? I mean, the last place that you ever th- thought of, of uh, people bowing down to you was when you are in the prison. You are the least of the least. 
But one morning he woke up as a jailbird. Hard floor, perhaps roaches and rats that night. His head was on the pillow of a 10-star accommodation. What do you call that? Promotion. Did he climb the corporate ladder? He didn't. He basically maintained his integrity, refused to compromise on his godly values. And God's promotion is an elevator. So I want to share that with you guys. This is what Jesus uh, was saying. If you want to be first, you must be slave of all. Friends, we descend into greatness. Amen? We descend into greatness. See, when you know that you are significant, that's when you will serve. People who don't serve really don't know their significance. And there's a book out in the market, and I want to be careful because I love that book, but, but the book is basically entitled From Success to Significance. Great title because most of us, we thought oh, we, have, we have got position now, we've got wealth now, so what's next? Significance. No longer about money and position. We want significance. Can I suggest to you that perhaps a better title is From Success to Surrender? That you know that you have accumulated a lot of wealth and you've got position and influence. Perhaps you can surrender and allow God to use your life in a way that pleases Him. That's what I think is the will of the Lord. That He has entrusted you with much and the next step is return it back to Him because He is the giver. Remember my sermon? In the first place, it, it doesn't belong to you anyway. It's all His. From success to surrender, we descend into greatness. When we know that we are significant, we will serve. And Jesus gave us an object lesson when He was the greatest, yet He took towel and He bowed and He washed His disciples' feet. That in itself is an object lesson for all of us. You want to, be, you want to, you want to excel as a leader? Be a servant. Be a servant. On position, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, now who wants to be first? Most of us, come on. <laughs> All right? But if anyone wants to be first, so Jesus knew that that's part of the desires of mankind. He must be the very last and the servant of all. And to illustrate that, he took a little child and had him stand among them, taking the child in his, in his arms. Jesus said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sends me. Friends, we grow up into childlikeness. I've said that before. But in my view, the more mature we are, the more vulnerable and teachable we become. People who are immature will, will always hide. And, but as you mature in God, you will become vulnerable and you put yourself in a place where not just good things, but even bad things can happen to you. You're being transparent and you're saying, you know what, my life is an open book. You can read from front back, back to the front. I've got nothing to hide. And that in itself is a great life. Child-likeness. We grow up 
into childlikeness. The greatest of all is like a little child, vulnerable, teachable. I don't know my left hand from my right hand. Please teach me. See, most of us who first started out in, in, in our career thought that we know it all. We, we can take the world by storm. Amen. And, and we have all these slogans out there. We can you know, just take the world and I, I'm going to Africa. I'll take Africa. But, but friends, it's okay because that's how we all start. But the more mature you are, the, the more vulnerable you become and say, you know what? Uh, I'm not taking the world. I'm, I'm just trying to stop for the one. Stop for the one, Heidi Baker, right? I'm not trying to save Singapore. I just want to be a blessing to the person I have lunch with. Someone asked me, how do you live your life? Like you're doing this, 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 this. And people can't understand, oh, Daniel, how do you balance? I don't try. Friends, I don't try to balance my life because I know that uh, you know, if I try to balance my life, that will be out of balance because I'm trying to balance my life, right? So what do I do? I said, God, I'll live for the moment. It may seem very f- frivolous, right? Live for the moment. But that's what I do. When I'm speaking, I give my, my all. When you come to my place, my wife and I, it's the best spread. When we talk to you, we're present. Amen. That's how we live our lives. When you know, and even after fly, how, how do you don't you want to to rest? And no, I, and I said, I, I have a calling. I want to make a difference, and I'll just pour my heart out. Just I'll do the teaching in the marriage class. I'll and I'll go and meet the person, and I'm just pouring your life out. Paul did the same. Paul didn't go out planning. You know, shall I plan fifteen churches next year? And start strategizing. No, Paul didn't do that. Paul was just going. He was just going. And when he stopped for Lydia, and when he was in the prison, and when he prayed, sang hymns, doors were opened, the jailer was saved. That was how the church in Philippi was planted. That's it. It's as simple as that. Now, do I believe in strategizing? Of course. But what I'm saying is, this is vulnerability. You put yourself out there and say, God, I really don't know what to do. And God, help me. Amen. So this is Jesus on power and position, countercultural. Think about it. You know, if I start preaching that to, to marketplace people, they say, Daniel, that's very naive. Amen. I'm childlike. You will be taken advantage. Yeah, Jesus was taken advantage. But can I assure you that if you live a life like that, the impact that you will have on the world will be so much greater than those who strive and plan and amen well it's up to you to to believe what the scripture says all right so uh, let's let's move on so jesus on what is truly valuable in life on what is truly valuable in life and he said in matthew chapter 10 verse 39 whoever finds his life will lose it and so many of us are trying to find our lives all right what's my life. What's the, uh, you know, God, what's my life about? Find my life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uncomfortable. What do you mean? Losing my life for my sake. Bible says, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, 36. 
Friends, this is Jesus' value system. He said that if you try to guard your life, if your life is more precious to you than, than the kingdom, you will lose it. And haven't we read stories of how people actually lost themselves in the pursuit of what they thought is life? And Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you, do you know Jesus' value system on what is truly precious? I say it this way. What truly matters in life is not on the screen. It's not how much we can get, but how much we can give. What truly matters in life is not how much you can get. See, if the world is full of takers, right? Don't you like, don't you hate it when everything is transactional? Don't you hate it? Like, what's the reason you want to meet me? Uh, uh, what's the agenda? I've got no agenda. I just want to meet you. What's the agenda? I've got no agenda. I just want to meet you. <laughs> Aren't we a family? When I want to meet Jason, imagine every time Jason says, hey, what's, the, what's, what's the agenda? What's the agenda? No agenda. I miss you. I want to meet you. Right? Or your girlfriend, what's the agenda? <laughs> You'll be in trouble. Okay, all right, we'll call it quits, that's it. No, it's more blessed. And when you meet someone, you are looking at ways to be a blessing, whether it's to buy, a, buy the meal, whether it's to give a word. Um, this is, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Imagine if all of us are givers and we are not takers. Watch out, world. Watch out, Satan. This is going to be an amazing, incredible church when we're looking at how we can give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's why Jim Elliot said, he, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I love that. Amen? I believe God is looking for little boys who have five loaves and two fishes. And he just said, you know what, that's all I have, but I want to give. And do you know what that miracle did? Fed everyone. Sometimes you don't know. You might think the gift that I have is so small. Sometimes you might think, oh, yeah, if it's just, it's just so small. I tell you, whatever is small in the hands of a huge Jesus feeds many. And at the same time, do you know what? How much the, the, boys got, the boy got back? Twelve basket full. You can never outgive God, friends. The way you wanna, if the way you want to multiply your life is by giving. It's by giving, not by taking and taking and taking. This is Jesus's value system. It's not about how much I can take from life, but how much I can give to life. And we've been saying that this church is to be a life-giving church, and it starts with you and I being life-giving. When I meet Christine, how can I be life-giving? When I meet Christian, how can I be life-giving? When I meet Tim and Patsy, how can I be life-giving? How can I give of myself? Not to take. Amen. Jesus on living without materialistic concerns. One thing about cons, I think she's prophetic. Because she preaches my message the second time now. The first time was when I talked about praise. And this time around, she quoted from Matthew chapter 6. All right, but before we go there, let's read Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. But God said, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is what it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself. The last phrase. You have to underline that. But is not rich toward God. Wow! Make you uncomfortable. This is speaking to the Singaporean. We squirm in our seed. When I read this, I say, God, you're talking about all of us. This is the conclusion to Jesus' story about the man who went on building bigger and bigger barns and then died. (laughs) That's the Singapore dream. So what's the point? The point, friends, is this. And I wrote this in my notes, not on the screen. True riches have nothing to do with things and everything to do with our relationship with God. True riches have nothing to do with things and everything to do with our relationship with God. See, Jesus, when he told this story, wasn't against bigger bands. It wasn't against preparing things for himself. The one thing that Jesus said is, why do you store up things for yourself but you're not rich towards God? But... The more important thing in life is being rich towards God, have a thriving relationship with God. Like what Con said, seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. That's the easier life than you striving and worrying and being anxious. See friends, okay, let's read from the version in Luke chapter 12. I love it. Jesus said to his disciples after he told this parable, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body. See, my wife has been trying to get me to work out because she wants that muscle. All right? But I will quote to her, don't worry about my body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider yet God feeds them. Then how much more valuable, you have to underline that, how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And this is how I say it. Reading this, summarizing it into one sentence, when you know your worth, you will stop worrying. When you know your worth, you will stop worrying. The Bible tells us, how much more valuable are you than the birds? So people who are worrying are putting their life below birds. Tweet, tweet. Chub, chub. I don't know how to sound like bird. Why do you worry? Easier said than done in the Singaporean lifestyle. Children's education, very expensive. Houses are becoming very expensive. Even chicken rice now costs $5. When I was growing up, it was $1.50. Some of you say, no, no, it's $1. Some of you say, last time 10 cents can buy drink. Now it's $1. Now Coke costs $1.60. You're always worrying and you're always you're like counting score. How much? Don't worry. I tell you who is really good at this lesson, my brother. Never worried. Because he knows his worth, that he is the parent's precious son. 
I'm more worried for my parents. And I, 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 I say, you give it all to him. No, but he, he's living out this truth. Likewise, no, I, I, I seldom worry about life. I really do. You know? And I said I live for the moment. I seldom worry about life. I believe that God will take care of, of our families. It's just a faith that we have. You know, it's just incredible. I'm not worried. See, I've got a little concern. And God blessed me this week in an incredible way. I, I had a little concern because I'm Asian and I'm small and I'm short. It's very hard for me to buy clothes. So I worried about what I should, should wear. Because if I go to any store, when, when we go outlet shopping, when we go for our trip to the US, even that small size, super long, you know, and I don't like like long, <coughs> or you know, if it's small, then he'll be very big, and, and I, I don't have to wing, right? So, so, so my wife said, just build yourself up. So I said, but I can't. You know, and I was just walking around and said, I need to get a tie for my brother's wedding, a tie, a tie, a tie. Then we're walking around, and I discover a shop. I went in there, and it was a shop that sells shirts, and I said, I said, well, I, I love nice clothes. All right? it's, I, that, that's a weakness. So for cheap price, I'll buy nice clothes. I love a good bargain. You know, and I bought a yellow shirt from Korea, 10 bucks. So I love it. And, so, and I went in there, and, and, I, and I don't have a poverty mindset. I just find that it's, you know, don't worry about. Yeah, come on. So went in there, and I said, is this Asian sizes? And she said, yeah, yeah, Asian size. Where is it from? Australia. I said, I don't think I can wear it. Surely it's too long, it's too big. You just try. I try in the fitting room. When I put on the shirt, I said, Hallelujah. It fits. And I said, I found a shop to shop. Now I'm just saying this because I tell you, God knows. And we're just wandering around. I wasn't looking for... You know, you have seen my green shirt when I was in the screen. You saw my checkered yellow shirt. I've been repeating myself, you know, and came to a point where I said, okay, I'll just buy from Giordano gray shirt. So at least I, you know. But friends, God knows. And I haven't bought the tie yet. <laughs> hey guys, I'm saying this not for you to give me stuff, right? Because I've got no lack in my life. A wonderful wife amazing kids, you know, uh, a shrinking wardrobe because my wife invades the wardrobe, but <laughs> all the men here can say amen, right? Come on. Shakarava. It's true. But when you know your worth, you will stop worrying. And I know my worth. I know that I'm more precious and valuable than the birds. And that's why the next point on being burdened down and over-concerned with this world, Jesus said, take my yoke upon yourself. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, there are trials and testings. There will be weight that you have got to bear. But friends, when you're walking in, G in Jesus, His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Yoke yourself to Christ and allow Him to be your burden bearer. Don't, don't be too, too concerned about your promotion, too concerned about your next paycheck. Listen, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will grant you the desires of your heart. But that is Jesus' value system and He's saying to us, stop worrying, don't carry your burdens, give your burdens over. And that leads me to this little sticky issue that I pray that no one take offense because I'm not speaking 
to anyone here. It's just a generic point on G- how Jesus view family and responsibilities. Can we read what he said? He says, if anyone comes to me, imagine you're in the crowd and I'm, G- I'm Jesus spe- speaking here, right? And does not hate his father and mother, and my parents are here, his wife and children, my kids were here, his brothers and sister, my brother is here, Yes, even his own life, I'm here. He cannot be my disciple. It's one of those inconvenient truths that we wish Jesus didn't say it when we try to explain it away with it's the context. No, it is, come on, just take the word for itself. That Jesus said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So does, so does it mean that I've, I've got to hate my parents, hate my brother? No! You have, to, you have to understand what Jesus was saying in context of the scripture. He's basically saying all right, that even these societal norms we think are the most important, our family responsibilities are not to be seen as taking precedence over God's values. I'm speaking to, to some of the parents here and some of the wannabe parents. Don't get Jesus wrong. There is still love and care, right? Demonstrated by Jesus' care for his mother. When he was on the cross, he ensured that his earthly mother Mary had John who would care for her in her old age. John, your mother. Mary, your son. So it is not saying that we should be uncaring and dismiss the whole thing, but it's a picture lesson on priorities. Are you with me on priorities? Jesus is saying that our family involvement is not a good excuse for a lack of commitment in our relationship with God and our service in the kingdom of God. I'm preaching truth here, guys. Our family commitment is not an excuse And neither can it be a substitute for our lack of commitment in our walk with God. Before Adam had a wife, he had God. Amen? In fact, it was God who walked Eve down the aisle to marry Adam. And Adam said, Whoa, man! That's how Eve became woman. He who found a wife found a good thing. Every blessing is from above. A a child or children are a blessing from the Lord. But what Jesus is saying here is this. If any man wants to really come after me, he must prioritize me way above your wife, way above your children, way above your brother, way, way above your relatives and even your own life. Jesus says that. Countercultural in Singapore as well. If 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 it's to drive this truth home, I think there will be a lot of empty churches in Singapore. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. But on high side, on high side, when we do this, I tell the favor and the blessings of the Lord that flow into your family. Uncountable. 
I remember when I was pastoring the youth ministry years ago, before we had a youth group, we had a few guys that were receiving Christ, right? The first few fruits. There were two of them. One of them now is a staff, and another guy, I've got no idea where he is. So we were talking about baptism. Baptism. So let's be, be baptized. One of them said, okay, I'll do it. Even though I think my parents and my mom especially wouldn't be too pleased. I read the scripture, I must obey God. So I said, are you sure? He says, yes. Against your parents' wishes? Yes, I must follow the word. Okay, we baptize you. It's a risk, right? I'll be hated by the... Another guy came. Daniela, can I wait till my parents pass on before I get baptized? So I said, why do you want to do that? Don't you want to be baptized and see your parents come into the kingdom? He says, yeah, but it's impossible. I don't want to rock the bone. Uh... One guy now, mom is safe. He's a full-time staff. And he's an incredible minister of the gospel. One guy now, I've got no idea where he is. And I suspect, I don't know where his life, where life has taken him. But the point I'm trying to make is this. If you put God first, everything falls in place. I still remember my parents were here. They, were, they, they probably didn't remember. But I was sprinkled before I was baptized. But to be sprinkled, then I thought I was ba- baptized. So... You know, and so I was secretly baptized and I felt really bad because the Bible says if I don't uh, pronounce him before men, then he, will, then he wouldn't confess me before the Father, right? So I read that literally and I said, Jesus, I'm so sorry that up to this point, my commitment to you was a secret. And so I said, okay, I'm going to tell my parents. <laughs> and so there was one Sunday uh, and I just went and said, hey, par- uh, before church, I, I don't think they can remember. Say, I'm baptized and I leave the house. <laughs> I, I, I left. And I, I, you know, and I went downstairs, I called my friend and said, I told my parents I'm bap- I am baptized. Do you have a, an, an extra room in your house? Maybe I can come home tonight. <laughs> I'm so glad I did that, friends. No regrets. No regrets. So what's my point? Do I honor my parents, of course. But in doing that, I am preferring the kingdom of God over my parents. That is scripture. And because of my act of faith, I can then come before God and and say, the same God who said that if I honor you before you, God, that you will honor me before men. You know, it's the same God who says, if you are safe, you and the household shall be safe. My same trust and faith in that scripture is the same trust and faith I have in that verse. Am I making sense? And I can then say to the Lord and say, God, I've honored you in my obedience. Now, God, I believe that what you say is true. So I believe me and my household shall be safe. So my parents are safe. My brother is safe, my uncles, my aunties, they're all coming to, to, to faith, all because I honor God before men. My kids are walking with the Lord, not because I spend hours with them trying. No. You, you, parents, you can never do enough. And the last thing you want is to grow up guilty. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing enough. But what you can do is to point them to Jesus and say, you know what? That is always imperfect, but Jesus will take care of you. And you 
help them put their faith in God. Friends, for the rest of their life, they are set. They are set. Am I making sense? So our family involvement is not a good excuse for our lack of commitment in our relationship with God. I've got no time to finish the rest of the message. But basically, Jesus was also radical in his actions, right? He touches lepers, heals the centurion's servant, sends demonic spirits into pigs, come on, <laughs> forgive a paralytic his sins, invites a tax, collector's, uh, a tax collector into his house, reject fasting, challenges laws on ceremonial uncleanness, he healed on Sabbath, he attacked the religious leadership, he told parables that undermine spiritual authority, he accepts foreigners. I mean, Jesus' actions were radical. He wasn't out there to please people. He ate with sinners and the social outcasts. And then finally, he forgave even his crucifiers. That's radical. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And if you're watching the movie, you will say, God, kill them. Don't, right? We want the good guys to win. right? For the good guys to win, you must kill off the bad guys. right? Isn't that how, how we watch movies? Kill the bad guy. Kill the bad guy. Send Rambo in. Kill the bad guys. right? We're angry. Come on, kill, 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 kill. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And if we are the producer, we said, cut, that's the wrong script, wrong script. But that's exactly the script that Jesus wrote. Father, forgive them. When he resurrected Friends, he prayed for his torturers, asked for forgiveness, and after his resurrection, there's no revenge, no settling of scores with those who killed him. In fact, he saved them. Jesus forgave his crucifiers. And finally, Jesus, who's radical in his saying, radical in his action, is calling all of us to a radical lifestyle. So that's what I want to set the tone for, for the rest of this series He's calling us to a radical life. He's calling you to a radical life.